Hello and welcome back to the Soccer from the Zoo Sporting Kansas City update. Uh, this is Kyle Pinnell and I'm joined by Sean Goodwin of the Kansas City Star. Hello, Sean. And can you just introduce yourself a little more? And yeah, thanks for being on today. Yeah, for sure, Kyle. I appreciate it. I've, uh, I'm always happy to talk about soccer and just sports in general. I enjoy listening to my own voice. So it's not a bad thing. But no, so this, this is a... Uh, a difference from the norm for me. I went to KU, graduated from KU. So appearing on a Mizzou podcast, it's a sacrilege one could say. It's Mizzou in name. <laughs> it's Mizzou in name. <laughs> but um, well, no, so, you know, as you can tell by my accent, I'm not from around these parks. So uh, born and raised Liverpool, uh, moved here when I was 14. And I've just kind of been in Kansas City ever since. Like I said, I went to KU uh, since graduating. I've Wrote for the Star, just covering sports in KC and the new NWSL team, which I know we're both going to talk about in a little bit. And just high school sports as well, football, basketball, all that jazz. And uh, without going into my life story, that's the general gist of me and my life. Yeah, and I wanted to kind of follow that up with just um, more sporting specifically. You mentioned you've been in KC for a, a long time, went to college just outside in Lawrence. And when did you get started as far as the KCB? And I know it was relatively recent. And uh, what's that been like? Yeah, so with the star itself, it was relatively recent. I first started covering sporting itself in 20, late 2016, early 2017, heading into that 2017 season. Um, and my sports editors, sports editors with the time at the Kansas and the KU newspaper, Amy Just, bless her. Um, up until then, the Kangsley has only ever really covered books. Um, but she had offered me the chance to cover sporting as a grace. I'll do that. So, covered sporting for the KU newspaper for a couple of years. And yeah, I got internship with a star, got turned into, I'm now freelancing a lot technically. Um, as a full time beef reporter there. And, Yeah, so this is my going into my second foot. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome as far as you said KU has sporting coverage. It, it doesn't anymore. So it, it pretty much was just with me. Um again, just because I actually pitched the idea. We had a lot of sports races at the time, and a lot of people were just columnists and stuff. Uh, at the time, I was just, I was a columnist and I covered KU golf and swimming. Uh, and I was like, you know, if we want to branch out a little bit, I get things like the Chiefs and the Royals and whatnot, especially back, I guess the Royals were sucking by that point. But, um, but you know, there's a lot of coverage 40 minutes away that we could be doing. And stuff like the Chiefs and whatnot would be tough, but... You know, we all we love soccer in this city, but at the end of the day, MLS isn't as big as many other sports. I was like, we can probably get credentials for sports in KC. And me being a soccer guy, I said, I'll happily do it. And yeah, so my editor, Amy Just, who now covers um, New Orleans down for the pick, uh, Times Pick Ayun, uh, she said, yeah, go for it. So I did sporting for a couple of years. I brought one other guy on board with me, uh, Brazen Shaw, who is now... I think he's a managing editor of the Kansas. But yeah, um, and after breathing again, it just kind of stopped. I guess I was with Sean Collins for a bit too. He's down in Dallas. But no, I don't think a Kansas has done sports for a couple of years now. 
nothing say left. Yeah, that's awesome that uh, you went out and kind of found that opportunity in, yeah. in college. I've enjoyed last year. I only went down to two games. It's a little farther of a commute from Columbia than it is Lawrence, but I, I've enjoyed it. And I can't wait to see that place full. And I, I want to jump in the soccer a little bit now and starting with uh, the KC Woso team, KC NWSL. Uh, obviously, the branding there is uh, going to take about a year and they're doing a lot of crowdsourcing from what I've read. And so I guess I'll just start from the beginning. When did you kind of start hearing about, one, the potential of the team really thinking about coming back? And of course, that has to do with ownership and unfortunate situations in Salt Lake and then Kansas City and just starting at the beginning. Yeah, um, I guess before I jump into all of that, uh, breaking news on this podcast, um, I just got an email six minutes ago from the NWSL team. Uh, basically saying a challenge cup, which is sex starting April before the season. Uh, that'll be played in home markets. I know there was talks of there being bubbles and whatnot, but you now they're playing in home markets apparently, uh, starting April 9th. So breaking news right there. But good to hear. What's up? Oh, I said that was that's good to hear. I'm trying to find if I got anything from the thorn side of it. Oh, yeah, there it is. But some yeah. good breaking news to hear, and then now just kind of getting. <laughs> Yeah, I also did some Thorn stuff in Portland, which is why I'm getting it from from that angle. But For sure. back to KC, when did you kind of start hearing about just the change in general? I know there was that whole saga with Delroy Hansen, and and now all of a sudden they're back in KC starting next season. Yeah, it honestly came a little bit out of the woodworks. Obviously, we had FC KC years ago, and I mean, they won championships in 2014, 2015, but it was... There was ownership difficulties. I mean, there was infighting within ownership. Um, I think one of the owners was suing one of the other owners. I don't know a bunch of details about that. Uh, it, that was obviously before my coverage started. Uh, I know the marketing back then wasn't great. A lot they tried marketing more towards the, the youth sports angle rather than trying to bring in a city as a whole. So it was a great team. It just didn't have the support. So that obviously moved, ends up ending up in Utah's expansion team. As you said, the Deloitte Hanson stuff, um, with it, it was uh, sexist remarks, correct? Um, and I believe so. it was a mess with everything there. And I think it also fed over into the USL and MLS sides too. Yeah. So, but no, I didn't really hear whisperings. Honestly, I'm trying to think, probably November. It happened really quick, honestly. Yeah. Um, I'm, there started to be rumours, and then one of my, because it was star, Sam McDowell was the first one to actually break the news. Uh, he covered sports before I did. Um, so he wrote a story just about how there's a the potential of the Utah team coming here. And within weeks, you know, before you know it, Kansas City has a team. But apparently, even before all the Utah stuff, uh, the ownership, um, Chris and Angie Long, they've been talking with Hugh Williams, the head coach for, Christ, I think it was early 2020, late 2019. So they've been talking about bringing a team in, um, but they were, it was going to be just a playing expansion team. It wasn't going to be for this season, but the season after. And as soon as all the Utah stuff happened with Dolly Hanson, they were like, hey, this is the perfect opportunity to bring that team back. It's a lot of the same players, don't have to do much roster building. Um, so yeah, they jumped on it pretty much, and within a matter of weeks, it felt like before you know it, Kansas City has a, a professional women's soccer team back. 
Yeah, that's, that's such a crazy timeline. And I'm curious what you know about the relationship between sporting and I know they're two different enterprises, really sporting and then the Casey Woso or Casey NWSL. And I know from what I've been seeing is the stadium situation is weird in general, right? Because it's I believe it's a grass field and then too much wear and tear. So they're not going to play at Children's Mercy Park, obviously. I'm just kind of curious. I also saw that they did the draft, I think, from one of Sporting's. Was it the training center um, where they're at? Or um, I mean, you do have compass mingles, as yeah. I'm calling it. Um, I wasn't, I didn't know the draft was held. Well, I didn't know the KC crew was actually in. Compass it looked Mingle. like it was there. So I'm just kind of curious what you know about the relationship or if there's any ties or what they're going to try and do or if, if it's going to be kind of separate. I know um, they're probably going to play. Is it going to be at the same place as where they were before they left for Utah or what do you know about that yeah so uh, I guess I'll answer the first part of that question first about just the relationships between sporting and the NWSL team and honestly I, I don't think you know the friendly obviously you know help each other um typical city relationship between two teams and especially both being soccer but they're not exactly directly linked I mean yeah, NWSL team has grown ownership. They're going to be playing in T-Bone Stadium for the time being. Um, and there was a lot of, not anger, but just kind of, I don't know, people were mad at sports in KC because there was talk about the women's team playing at Children's Mercy Park. But as you said, Kyle, to grass field, and not only that, but um, yeah, sports in KC has SKC too as well. And at the end of the day, you know, the first team plays, Sporting is going to put their own second team above a completely different organisation, let's be of honest. Course. So first, you have plenty of teams playing, occasionally the academy teams play there. But even without the wear and tear, you know, you, you the NWSL team, you imagine will be getting stuck with, you know, crappy kickoff times or days just because field availability. So... You know, people were mad, but if, if you kind of dissect it, it was a smart decision for sporting and for the NWSL team, honestly. So, you know, I don't know any strong relationships per se. And mm-hmm. actually, I think the second question of uh, they'll be playing at T-Bone Stadium. I guess now it's the Kansas City Monarchs. Yeah. Recently, so I'm not sure if they're changing game of the stadium, but yeah, that's where they'll be playing, which is great because before the team... Uh, when the team was here, it was FC Casey. They didn't have a, um, a field, like a home field, honestly. Um, they, I know they played at Children's Mercy Park a couple of times. Can they be playing at Swope? They'd be playing at high school fields. I believe they played at the high school right down the road from me, Shawnee Mission North. I should know which high school it is. It's North, I think. Um, and I believe they also played at the Blue Valley uh, Dark a couple of times, right by Blue Valley Northwest in uh, Overland Park soccer fields. So they did have a home field, so to say. And I get that the T-Bones Monarch Stadium isn't, you know, their stadium. Um, but I, I've heard, I can't confirm, that they are looking to build a soccer-specific stadium uh, down the road so they'll actually have a real home and not just be renting out a baseball field, essentially. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And as far as you're looking at, uh, a team like Louisville coming in to the fold, racing Louisville or whatever um, their name is, and they're playing, of course, the USL team as well. The connection there with that beautiful stadium um, over in Louisville. So I, I think it's very exciting, not just NWSL, but lower divisions of American soccer and, and investing in their teams. And 
in these cities, I, I thought was really amazing. And I next wanted to kind of go into, you were at that first tryout and you wrote about it. And I'm kind of curious what that was like being there and seeing, seeing that firsthand. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think just good technology has, you know, if I remember my numbers correctly, like 30 women turn out open trials. It was a viewing invitees as well. But I think it just shows that, you know, this team is going to have support. And, you know, you may hear that, ah, 30 people to open trials isn't a lot. But at the same time, um, so I just got another email. <laughs> at the same time, I just lost my complete string of thought, Kyle. What was I saying? Um, at the same time, as far as 30 people not being alive. Okay, so there we go, email. there we go. I got an email from my editor. I was like, what's that? Um, yeah, at the same time, you know, it, it's women who, if you're going to be trying out, you're going to be confident enough to be able to hang with these kinds of players. Uh, I, I highly doubt someone isn't going to sh- is going to show up and be a, a bog-standard soccer player, to put it, you know, bluntly. So to have 30 women show up for a team that pretty much has a full roster anyway, and that I was told um, by Derek Shaw, he's uh, on the staff there, that someone has have to really stand out even just to be invited to the preseason. So, you know, hopefully we'll see one or two of the women from there uh, get a go on the team just so we can get a little bit more local talent in. But, yeah, I think it just shows the grace, commitment and excitement that Kansas City has to having a team back. And, you know, none of the, the first team or, the, you know, that good roster players with the tryouts is all just tryout people. And they just, they started with some warm-ups, a couple of passengers yeah. and whatnot, and then just moved into a scrimmage for the most part. So, you know, it, it was nothing crazy, but it was good to kind of see that right off the back, this club has opened itself out to the community and saying, you know, like, let's see what you've got, Kansas City. Was there anyone that kind of stood out? Obviously, um, someone would have to really stand out, really jump off, like you were saying, just to be invited back for preseason stuff. Was there a player, too, that, at least in your opinion, you thought this player has a shot at being called back? Yes. Give me a hot second. I know exactly who I'm thinking of, and the game is slipping my mind. Um, but but I'll, I'll keep on talking until I yeah. find him. Uh, but basically, she was the final draft pick for FCKC back before we left. Here we go. Let me pull it up. Uh, Rashida Beal. That was it. So Rashida Beal. Uh, she was the final draft pick uh, for FCKC. Um, she joined the team for the preseason and ultimately wasn't offered a full-time contract with the club. Uh, so she went off. Um, she was playing in Germany for a bit and she suffered some knee injuries that she had to come back from. Um, she's a University of Minnesota alum. So, yeah, basically when she hears that the team was back in KC, it was coached by Hugh Williams and Derek Shaw, who she's both been coached by before. Uh, she was like, yeah, I'm going to come back. I'm going to try out. And uh, just from watching, you could see the, the talent. Was, she's only 26. You know, it's not like she was out of the game for years and she's already 29, 30. So, yeah, I think if we... There could be a few surprising games, and obviously I didn't know everyone there. But if there's one game to look out for coming out of all of this, then Rashida Beal is definitely one of them. Yeah, and before moving on to sporting, I'm kind of curious about on-the-field stuff and kind of when you were talking to some of the coaches and what what is their playing style or how do you think um, they, they do want to play and 
uh, kind of looking at an identity for, for this team. Uh, obviously, when they were FCKC, you had a rock on the back line like um, Becky Sauerbrunn and a yep. very, very, very talented team. And then they went to Utah. Do, they, do you think they kind of have some of those um, tactical facets, for lack of a better word? Or when they're coming back here, do you see them changing it up a little? Or when you were talking to coaches, I'm sure you asked a little bit about uh, tactics. Yeah, so Hugh Williams, I've spoke to Hugh a few times on this. Um, I forgot his exact phrasing, but he essentially says he wants it to be a classic Midwest team. Um, <laughs> I see okay. your face. I, I don't know what, how, how did he define that? Team? Yeah, so um, basically just very hard work and scrapping for every ball, um, high intensity. Uh, and he, he constantly says that um, defense is the first line of attack. Which is, and not in the sense of being solid defensively, which I'm sure they will. But for example, he wants his wing backs to be pushing up. Um, I'm going to make a Liverpool comparison here. Then you look at Andy Robertson and Trent mm-hmm. Alexander Arnold. Um, heck, Chelsea's, you've got Ben Chilwell. Ben Chilwell on one side, and it's uh, escaping my name. But yeah, basically, yeah, like packing full backs who can bomb down the field. Um, and, and contribute to the offensive plays, basically, whether it's whipping in balls, um, helping in, you know, a lot of those 2v1 situations for the wingers. Um, I know we are going to rely heavily. I don't know the exact formation, but I imagine it's going to be some sort of 4-3-3 three, three of a holding midfielder. Yeah. Uh, I know that Hugh wants to heavily focus on someone like Desiree Scott. Uh, obviously, she's a Canadian international. She's a walking defensive midfield. So that, that's what I think we should expect. It's going to be a very high intensity. I think we can definitely see a lot of goals coming out of this team, especially when you've got someone like Amy Rodriguez, you know, holding that line. And I say, you know, very attacking. They still have a very good defensive player. Bowen, of course, who they are going to hold down that back line. But I think it's definitely going to be more of a, a front foot forward team rather than sitting back and trying to attack on the counter. Okay, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And, and you mentioned Scott. Is there anyone else they mentioned? Maybe kind of in a similar vein to my previous question about who stood up to you at tryouts. Obviously, they have a lot of the roster built up for the coaching staff. Was there someone when you asked about maybe who stands out to them or maybe can take that next step this next season uh, that came to their mind or uh, that's already on the roster? Now, I, I have asked, and he was keeping his, uh, keeping his cards very close to his chest. And that might just be because, you know, a lot of time managers, they don't want to put pressure on players, they of don't course. want to single out specific players. So, you know, I, I've asked, uh, but I didn't really get much of an answer. But, of course, you can look to those big names. Like I said, you've got Corsi and Bo and Lewanta, who just got engaged to Roger Espinosa, of course. Um, yeah. A-Rod, Amy Rodriguez. So, you know, there's a lot of women on the team who were here in the FC Casey days who, you know, you've got a team that it's not just veterans, but it's veterans that have been playing with each other for a while because of the Utah days and before that FC Casey days too. So it's almost like you've got at least half of a, you know, a team that already knows and plays with each other. So there's not going to be as much of that gelling in periods that you often see with an expansion team. Yeah, well, sporting, uh, yeah, just kind of transitioning to sporting, I guess, from NWSL, and I thought that was a pretty good conversation of what to kind of expect from them, and I'm very excited to um, pay more attention. I mean, I follow the Thorns back in Portland, and they're a pretty big deal, and 
you talk about synergy between club and team. Obviously, it's not exactly the same situation, but it's cool to uh, see that Sporting has, or not Sporting, Kansas City as a city has has an NWSL team and they have Sporting. And uh, it'll be very fun to see how it plays out. And uh, obviously, unfortunate for RSL, RSL, Salt Lake, uh, Royals, all these teams I'm throwing in this big mixing pot. I hope everyone knows (laughs) what I mean, obviously. And and so, yeah, Sporting now. And uh, what... Just generic thoughts on last season. I believe it was was it your first year covering them for the Star? Yeah, it was my first full year. I took over at the end of the 2019 season. Uh, basically, the scars of the NFL season. Um, Sam McDowell jumped yeah. over. So I picked obviously sporting. What <laughs> wasn't too hot in 2018 or 2019? Sorry, mm-hmm. um, finishing as low as they did in the West. So. Last year, last season was my first full season, yeah. And those are few and far between the years they're not in the playoffs or really looks to um, be be that competitive. And obviously, that they ended last year first, first place in the West. I know it was a wacky year. You only play so many teams. And what were your general thoughts just on last season and seeing the team as really that hot start? Alan Polito comes out of the gates on fire. I really remember watching that. 4-2, I believe, Houston Dynamo game, the home opener, I think, at Children's Mercy Park. And then league shuts down for a few months. MLS is back. Get back to the stadium. It was just such a weird season of then you play Minnesota United five times. It feels like you play Houston, Dallas, Colorado, and you don't play other teams. I, I know they didn't play Portland, or I don't think they played Seattle. Maybe they played them once. A lot of the West Coast. Yeah. yeah, it was just so weird everywhere in MLS, and I'm kind of curious just – what you what stood out to you last season about the team and, and kind of that jump they made? Yeah, um, I guess if you, I mean, last season was just so crazy. I mean, it's tough to obviously sum it up. But the one word I can use to sum up the season as a whole is obviously disjointed with the breaks. As you said, there was break after two days and you, or two games. Yeah, my was back to them, making another break and they found regular season but um in regards to sports in kc i think it shows a lot of um a lot of grit and strength not in just the players themselves but peter vermees the coaching staff and their philosophy because obviously 2019 doesn't go anywhere close to not just what he wants is obviously but to what anyone expected um but they, they enter 2020 yeah they bring in Alan Polito, he's a blockbuster signing. And when he played, you could see the difference he made. And there was a difference. You could tell how sporting attacked for years, whether it was with Dom Dwyer, Christian Amoth, Eric Atardo, when he was getting a run of games up top as a starter, uh, even Kyrie Shelton a little bit further back. It was a lot of target men. Derek taking on the nine, like him do something. And then Alan Polito comes in and it's a lot more. Again, I'm going to go back to Liverpool. It's like Roberto Firmino, but Polito also scores a goal. Um, where the ability is a striker, but he he dropped back a lot more and it helped bring in the wingers, whether it's Johnny Russell, Shelton on the wing, Gerso, who doesn't look like he's yeah. coming back. Um, so that changed, but as a whole, uh, you know, good, good Peter and me singer stuff, he didn't change their playing style, he didn't change their philosophy a sporting way, sporting fit. You know, it, it was still very much, yeah, last season wasn't good, but we're still going to play out of the back. We're still going to 
you know, have good goalkeeper play with his feet. We're not just going to hoof the ball up with fields. We're not going to bypass midfields. Um, it, it was almost a reset. And of course, there's plenty of reasons in 2019 why that went so bad. Obviously, Conkick after Champions League early in the season, fatigue, injuries, so on and so forth. So it's unfair to completely put them down for 2019, but it's just a lot of mental fortitude from the staff to say that sucked. But 2020, we go again, same ideals, and boom, first place in the West. Yeah, and it was kind of crazy as far as Seattle and Portland eventually settled up there. Sporting was third, and then the end of the season kind of flipped everything around. And I remember that snow game at RSL, kind of, you could barely see the ball, just um, really missing um, MLS. And it was kind of fun after those three months, especially just seeing gameplay and uh, just... It, it was weird. It was strange, but it was fun to at least have soccer back. And before I kind of move on to your thoughts on this next season really quickly, that last game they played against Minnesota United, one of the games I was was there for. And I mean, I don't know how much of it was on sporting, how much of it was on just uh, Reynoso and um, Molino, just the combination they had in transition. It was so impressive to watch as they built that three nothing lead. And what, what were your thoughts from that game? Obviously, that was the last time we've seen sporting this season or, or last season. Yeah, um, I wrote a, a, a not very um, not very friendly game story after that one over sporting. Just because, you know, it's like you mentioned Ringo. So I think Kevin Molino, he just had a hell of a game and he's always you know, he's been a good player for a while now. But... Everyone after this first season with Ringo so Minnesota, everyone knew the attacker pretty posed and that the man can give him a little bit of time and space, he'll thread the ball through either knees or he'll find his players through the gaps in the box. We saw that coming. I don't have the specific numbers, but I think of Minnesota's nine or ten goals in the playoffs. He did something stupid like his sister's eight of them and then scores yeah. the other one or two. So yeah. First, you know, 30, 45 minutes, basically the first half. I uh, I was saying beforehand, I, I appeared on one of the local TV stations here. I did some radio stuff and I was saying Emmanuel Ringo, so Emmanuel Ringo. So, you know, sporting need to keep a man on him, whether that's Ilya, obviously being a holes midfielder, he'd be the best man for it. Keeping one of the centre-backs on him. And sporting just didn't do that for the first 45 minutes. I mean, I guess it was only a boy eight to 12 minutes span when it all just went to hell for Sporting. Yeah. And it was just because every single time players are getting dragged out of position, they're giving Ringo so far too much time. Uh, obviously, the corner wasn't really Ringo, so but the other two goals, it was just like, yeah, here's the time, here's the space, and he makes Sporting pay. And the second half, they obviously looked a little bit better. It mm. didn't concede. So, I mean... When you, can I mean, see three, when you can see three in the first half, it's pretty tough to do much worse. But. That game could have been so different, though. If you look at the first, what was it, five minutes? The first minute, yeah. Johnny Russell goes down, gets in behind, and a yeah. great, great um, goal line headed clearance. I forgot who had that, but I do vividly remember that. There was two or three really good scoring chances in the first 15 minutes. If they capitalize, obviously – a team like Minnesota United that likes to sit back and play in the counter attacking game. That's what you want to see um, them have to kind of go out and, and take the game, the sporting instead of 
all of a sudden you get down that one goal. It's pretty much one of those things where it was Minnesota United's best day, Sporting's worst day. And once they could play their game, it was over. And so I just thought that was a pretty crazy game. I don't know if you had any more thoughts on that or just both that and then transitioning to just -hmm. your thoughts on on the team going in the next season um, before we get a little more specific. Yeah, um, I mean, you kind of hit nail on the head with they had a couple of early chances. If they put those chances away, it's, it could be a completely different game. And That's soccer. Yeah, it gets soccer, exactly. And especially if Alan Bleeders out there, but, you know, the man was injured for the whole postseason. And, you know, Peter was like, ah, he was a came back if we won that game. Well, that's not if it was enough. You got England next game, Peter. Um, but no, you can kind of take me along the head there. But heading into 2021, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the only big acquisition so far is Remy Walter in midfield, which I don't know if midfield is really what sporting need to be focusing on right now. Uh, they've got a lot of good midfielders, isn't it? Yeah, he'll add great quality. You know, he's got European experience. He's played in Champions League qualifying games. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, I'm sure he'll do a job. But again, when you've got guys like you know, Ilya's got Holden McField, you got Buzio in there, Espinosa's got his experience, you got uh, Felipe Gutierrez if he re-signs his contract. Um, and then, you know, you got younger guys like Cam Duke and whatnot as well. You've got, you've already got a solid McField core. But what you don't have is with Matt Beasley going to Austin, obviously, uh, Winston Reed's got Blowingism being extended and sporting no way in hell because they afford his wages on a permanent deal. Um, so right now, I, I understand that they did bring in a centre-back uh, through the super draft. Um, my, yeah, Matt Constant, but he's not going to slot into the team straight away. He's probably going to skip with a B team. So you look at centre-backs, you're looking at... Well, Graham Smith, Punchek, and um, I'm missing one more. Who am I missing? Lindsay, Jalen Lindsay. Or is he uh, more of James, a fullback? He was a fullback. He's a fullback. He? This is why is this escaping my mind? This is done. Oh, uh, Fontas. Mm. Oh yeah, it's Andre easy Fontas. to get Fontas because the man doesn't play. But yeah, um, yeah, Fontas, Punchek, and Smith. That's all you've got for like seeing yeah centre-backs, and yeah, you brought in a college player, but he's probably not going to slot in. You've got a couple of academy products, but again, they're academy products, because not really, it's not what you want yeah. anchoring your centre-defence. So, uh, they definitely need to bring in another centre-back or two, and there's been rumours of players from Eastern Europe and whatnot coming over. That seems to kind of be a trend in recent years of these Eastern European players coming over. Um and yeah, I guess the other issue is left wing. Again, he brought yeah. in a left winger in the draft, but not how do you there. replace Gerso really? And I mean, there's ways to replace him on the score sheet. He didn't score a lot, but his pace on the left wing is yeah. what always stood out game in and game out. Not his ability to score because we all saw him sky two or three shots last season from tap and range, but his ability to beat defenders and create those chances to get the ball into the box for, um, maybe a crashing midfielder, or a crashing player, of course, when Polito was playing. Yeah. Uh, and then Johnny Russell, who plays really all over the field. And that was another thing. I saw him just playing more defensive back or outside back against um, Minnesota United than he was in the attacking third, which 
was part of the problem. I, I thought at least, but how do you replace someone like Gerso with, obviously you have Kyrie Shelton who backed up Eric Hurtado when Polito was out, but then you have Daniel Shallowy. Uh, Johnny Russell can only play one of the winger positions, obviously. It's yeah. just, it's an interesting situation, at least my thoughts on that. Oh yeah. I mean, again, you, you kind of summed it all up. You know, your, your two main wingers, I think we're probably going to see again. I, I think sporting strongest lineup uh, heading into 2021, it's not going to be much different. It's, going to be Polito, Shelton and uh, Russell, unless of, with Shelton on the left, un- until or unless Sporting get a, an out-and-out left winger. Because um, Gerso, you know, I, I think he has his heyday, well, not his heyday, but he has his days as a starter. He kind of got relegated to a super sub almost, just because he got speed and energy. And I mean, like you said, he, he's grabbed goals, but he's not, a, you know, he's not clinical. And you don't really want that from a guy playing 90 minutes every every game as your left winger. Um, Daniel Shallowy experiment. I guess you can hear it's it. Been two years ago, three years ago, I remember him really going on a killer scoring run. I feel bad talking about talking bad about Daniel. I went to high school with him. Actually, we were we were somewhat in the same friend group. Um, and yeah, he was great that first year. He was the team's top goal scorer and. You know, the, the season after that would have been, I guess, 2019, the bad season. Everyone was like, ah, you know, just needs confidence, blah, blah, blah. And then we enter 2020, he still gets a couple of games and doesn't do anything. Uh, I believe he has one more year left in his contract. I I, I, I don't think he, it would be renewed. I think for Daniel, see, he's still a young player at the end of the yeah. day. You know, he, he's my age, he's 24. You know, drop down to USL for a year or two, get that confidence back, uh, and then see if you make another stab at the MLS. I mean, the MLS. I hate I just said that. Um, <laughs> it's one um, of those little things. <laughs> I sound like David Beckham. He still says that. But uh, you no, know, Amazu D, I think the exact same. You know, he was a sporting for a couple of years. He dropped down to Phoenix. Uh, he became Phoenix's best player or best defender, at least. And then, you know, he came back to sporting. And I love Amadou Dia. I think yeah. he's an back personally. I'm, I'm always giving my Amadou Dia propaganda on Twitter. Love Amadou. But, um, but I think that's the best issue for Daniel. And I know I've just went off on a complete tangent there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as for going back to the left-wing situation, Shelton and Russell are both quote-unquote capable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even if you watch games, like you look at the lineup, it's like Russell's on the right, Shelton on the left. Because they're always switching, and yeah, it's partly just to confuse defenders and have that fluid shape to sporting. But neither of them ever seem comfortable on that left. None of the production really comes from that left hand side. Um, again, sporting just drafted a winger, um, out of Marshall, Jamil Roberts. But again, he was. 88th overall, I think. Yeah, 88th. Sorry, 78th in the MLS Super like Draft is. I mean, um, Peter said in a press conference that he was he was going to give everyone opportunities. Obviously, you got to say that, but like you look at the MLS Super Draft, the best players coming out of it don't really go past maybe 30, 40. For the most yeah. part, it's more of a crapshoot. So I think it's yeah. one of those things where you just gotta. And I'll ask a little bit about this um, in a few minutes, but 
that that academy slash youth slash development system you just got to hope you can draft the right player to fit that mold and go from there and talking about uh, shallowy when you went on that tangent i'm kind of curious i know peter ramiz as a coach is pretty stringent he he knows what he wants to do you have the sporting fit you have culture you have stability in in the organization and as far as confidence goes and this is just obviously nothing to it but how hard do you think it would be under Peter Vermees if you don't have that confidence? And I'm sure in trainings, maybe the difficulty of um, maybe not being able to put the ball in the back of the net or going through a cold slump and just maybe it gets hard mentally on, on players. And I'm not saying that's what happened with Shallowy or anyone else, but I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on just the importance of having confidence in the sporting system and um, just for a player's mentality and mindset. No, I mean, it, that it, may be it's stretching a good question. It. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I think, you know, no one is unfamiliar with Peter Vermeesen, you know, how intense he can be, almost an authoritarian, so to speak. But at the same time, you know, he's got on this tenured coach for many reasons. And one of those is, I think, player really. I don't think there's many is. Like, like, let's just say with Daniel, if he, or with any player, if they were down on confidence or if they weren't playing well, I'm sure Peter and the staff would be pushing them and helping them get through it. But I, I don't think it gets to the point where a player is bereft of confidence because of the and because of the staff. Uh, the, the idea I get from just talking to him and even talking to players when Peter comes up is... He's very good at the plays. He's very open. He's always always willing to fight for them. And I think the best example I can give uh, was I was talking to is actually Amadou Dia, bless his heart. Um, it, it was a while back when um, the, the whole George Floyd incident and Black Lives Matter was all at its peak, I guess. Yeah, summer. And yeah, MLS's back tournament when all the players came out and you know, uh, um, very powerful um, moment. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Amadou about that and basically Peter brought the whole team together and said, hey, I'm here to listen to you guys. Whatever you guys want, I will do for you and I will fight for you. Whatever that was, you know, just an example, he's, Amadou told me, like, whether that was boycotting practice or something for the cause, you know, it, it's the idea of boycotting practice obviously isn't a great thing, but he was saying, if that's what it takes, I am behind you guys. Um, so that's just an example. I think Peter is very much behind his players. I don't think he's ever mm-hmm. been put them down. Of course. Uh, so I, I, I just, I just think Daniel is, I don't know, the talent is there. Yeah, it, and that was, was just... it a flashing a pan, a, a, a seizing along flashing a pan. I don't know. Hopefully not. But that was, yeah, not as much about Daniel as just a curiosity I had with Peter. Obviously, one of the better coaches in Major League Soccer, and he has a system that works for him and his teams. And so I was just kind of curious about that confidence factor, less about him and more about just the system and, and maybe how stressful that could be. Uh, and that was just came to mind as you went on that tangent. And, and so um, just to wrap up sporting, obviously uh, Busio is a player that's always at the tip of fans tongues when it comes to development of the team and um, younger players and, he seems destined for a move to Europe eventually, regardless of 
where that is. Um, one, what are your thoughts on Busio and his situation and his role? And then is there another player that you could see this year maybe making not that Busio type leap, but into a really solid contributor for sporting, maybe someone that fills that left wing role or someone that fills that defender role that sporting just continue to really need? Yeah, um, I guess just starting with Busio. I mean, ever since Gakig signed a contract with the club, it feels like he's been destined for big things and everyone's always seen his potential and it's it's great to see him fulfilling those potentials. Um, I'm trying to see when his contract runs through. I do have that top of your head. When his contract... I know he has at least a year or two left his contract. Um, I believe it's... Yeah, he has this season and next season, basically. So, you know, Sporting is in a, in a huge rush to offload him, so to speak. Um, but on the same, car, same sense, if they leave him much longer, whether that's a year, whether that's six months, teams will know they can start busing less. And I, I don't see Buzio staying with Sporting or in MLS past his current contract just because of he's, how young he is and just the, the potential he has. Um, prove that team is who he goes to I'm not sure again Peter told me a while ago Liverpool's one of the teams but you know we got Liverpool Barcelona Fiorentina um, big names big big names right um and it's part it's finally the right place for Buzio too though and Vermees has always says that he's never going to hold a player back especially some of Buzio's talenting getting Americans playing in Europe we've seen how how great that's where you know so far like, yeah. you know, people say Jerry, you know, Weston McKenney. Again, I'm a big Weston McKenney um, propagandist. Oh my gosh, he's so good as far as I was reading an article on The Athletic. Totally another tangent, but just uh, if his ability um, to crash into the box and do everything. And I think as far, I think it was assist numbers or secondary assist numbers or something, or I don't remember what the statistic was, but there was a great story on The Athletic about what he's doing so well at uh, Juventus right now. And so I'll let you get back to your answer. I just, when you say Weston McKinney, it's just so cool to see him succeeding in Europe, like you said. Yeah. Um, but no, it pieces always says that it's, uh, it's not just the club money as they want for Buzio. It's all as much as they can. It's also, it's speaking with Buzio, speaking with his family and figuring out just what the best, uh, what the best solution is for everyone. I'm going to, Let's just say a Man City or a Chelsea, for example, um, where they often hold these young players, they send them out on loan to the German second league. Go somewhere, he can flourish, he can grow, he can, he can become part of something and not just another kid who fell by the wayside. Um, and a second question was about someone to step up. Yeah, to maybe in that defender role or left wing or really anywhere um, that will be beneficial for sporting this next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, again, I don't know if it's quote-unquote beneficial, um, but if, if we're talking about some other midfielder, um, Grayson Barber, he's literally the, the homegrown that he signed mm-hmm. last week. Um, so he actually, he used to be in the Sports and Casey Academy from age 16 to, you know, age 15 to 17. Um, he's from South Carolina. So he went back there for his high school, se- last high school season. 
and then he went on to play Clemson. I don't have his specific numbers off now. Maybe I can pull them up real quick. But um, in college, for, he played for Clemson, who just finished or gave away number one before. Go on, what? Didn't he have something like seven assists, I think? I forgot what that number was. I remember reading something. Yeah, it's... Something in that range. Here we go. Um, Ten goals and nine assists. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Clemson were arguably the best team nation. And he was pulling the strings um, in that midfield um, because he technically he was in Sports and Casey's Academy. Um, they had his homegrown rights, but I, I don't think it's a um, exaggeration to say if he decides he can play one more year, if he went into the draft, he'd be a top five to ten pick in my opinion. Um, he's already twenty years old. It's not like he's you know sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, having to develop. He. It's, again, it's a packed midfield. I don't know how many reps he'll get. But if we're talking about new players and young players next step, then, of course, um, you know, Barber is definitely one of those that can make that big step. Just be, if he continues what he was doing at Clemson, pulling those strings. And in a way, you can kind of argue that the packed midfield is a good thing for him to be able to learn yeah. From some very talented midfield players, you got Benny Failhaber, who's now the technical one of the technical staffers announced yesterday. And so I wonder how much he'll work with him. And I think that's something really exciting to look at. And I know you mentioned that you're working on an academy story, so I'm not going to have you say too much or throw the player pathway or whatever it is, uh, whatever it is. But what what is it from that maybe you'd be willing to share from what you've been um, learning through writing this story that that's going to be coming out relatively soon, you said, and just the importance of having that pathway, whether it be from MLS draft, and then you have the Academy, you have Sporting Kansas City too. just how important is that within um, just being in the geographical location of Kansas City to mm-hmm. one have that have that market, you're not going to Alan Polito's the biggest signing by far. And that's for a reason. So I know there's a lot of questions packed in there and you can kind of break them all down, but um, just kind of starting with what you've been learning that you wouldn't mind sharing uh, while working on your article. Yeah, so I have two more interviews this afternoon. Um, so far, I have 82 minutes of audio plus the two interviews to transcribe. Um, so that's my plan for this evening tomorrow. Um, I'm hoping to write it on Friday, but essentially, yeah, a, you know, over the last couple of years, we've heard Peter Vermees always talk about the pro player pathway, which is essentially sports in KC's system to get youth players playing at a you know, the professional level. And of course, being the fruits of that labour, whether it's in recent times with the players we've been talking about, whether it's with Buzio, Wilson Harris, Felipe Hernandez, you know, yeah, Felipe Hernandez, um, or even going back, you've got Eric Palmer-Brown years ago, one of those players who went to Europe and disappears, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, uh, essentially it's this whole system of where from the U12 level uh, all the way up through the academy, through to SKC2, even the first team, everyone is coached the same way um, to where, you know, the younger kids obviously they, they simplify things a little bit. Um, as kids get older, like around the 15 to 16 age, coach does a start, um, teaching players like uh, position specific kind of 
skills that you need to know because before then you don't want to pigeonhole like a 12 year old like ha ah, his 12 year old's gonna be a forward you know it's, it's a little too early um but yes yeah, so, so essentially the point of it is um let's just say Aussie Cisneros um, yeah. 16 year old kids again of a homegrown he was six, 15, 16 playing for the U19 team. And he was able to do that. One, obviously, his talent level was so high. But because from U12, U15, U17, um, they all same tactics, same, you know, the players were to play the same. They used the same terminology, same, you know, basically it's the same across the board. So a player is able to seamlessly go between those teams. If a player is a, like, let's just say again, you know, let's say Brooks Thompson, goalkeeper. Okay. Let's, let's bring you a homegrown player in from last week. Um, you know, he was with Joel Wong, he was SKC too. And he says that he came originally from Indiana uh, when he first arrived at the academy. It took him a couple of weeks to, you know, obviously just learn how sports and wants to playing stuff. But then once he made that jump C2, it was the exact same stuff. You know, you're going from playing with boys to men, but aside from that, it's, it's the same stuff. And then from SKC2 to SKC, it's the same stuff. Higher skill level of the players, you know, stronger, fitter, faster, better. But for the most part, you're doing the same stuff. Um so I guess reeling August back around for my story, mm-hmm. um, just what I wanted to do was the three homegrowns from last week, they all arrived at the first team by different paths. Um, Aussie streaked from the academy, Grayson went to college, came back, and then Brooks Thompson, SKC too, and then to the first team. So I'm just kind of looking at how the pro player pathways helped each of these individual players take different paths and still get to the same spot. And it all focuses around the pro player pathway. I look forward to reading that piece. I found that very interesting. I know sporting has their whole their whole setup pro player pathway, like you described, is something that is relatively unique, but also like just seeing how different teams have how they want to build out, whether it be an academy, whether it be a USL side. I know Timbers had T2, and that's what I'm familiar with. They had the USL championship side. Don't think they're yeah. playing this year. Then you have the Timbers and you have the Academy. But as far as T2, there was a long time where, for the most part, the Timbers would have all the promising young players and T2 would probably be at or near the bottom of the championship table It's uh, just for players not getting minutes. But you see recent developments in like a Marvin Luria or Eric Williamson was a big name for them last year from what I'm familiar with. And, and I think how beneficial that can be and some teams do it better than others i think i read a story about how nashville uh is banking on picks because they don't have that system set up yet or in the mls super draft and there's teams that go that route too so overall i think that's a very interesting thing to to look at and i'm glad you're writing about it and before we really wrap up and i know i've had you for a while so i promise it's gonna be the last sporting question but I wanted to end it on a fun note. What's been your favorite Peter Vermees inter- interaction over the years? Because I know it's been in person for a majority of it for you from yeah. KU and now this year's been all online. So is there anything that kind of stands out to you? It's just a, a fun interaction you've had with Peter. Uh, um, I, I don't know if this counts as fun. I mean, there's plenty of just kind of little Notable. small moments. Notable. Yeah, exactly. I'm not really noticeable, so to speak. 
like you, you know, it's like I was saying before, everyone sees him in the media on the sideline as this pissed off, angry, red faced guy who's very serious. Away from the cameras, he's he's a he's a great guy, he's a nice guy. Um, but I guess it's more noticeable. Um him being a bit more red faced. And it was my first year covering the team. I, I don't even remember the game itself, but game one two. So this was 2017. And I uh, a couple of questions were asked in the post-game press conference. And I basically asked, like, you know, you guys scored four goals, which was great, but the two goals kicking seasons weren't too, you know, what wasn't the best goal sticking seeds, yeah. they were a little bit sloppy. So I asked about, so I was like, you know, you guys scored four goals, but the two goals you let in was still a little bit sloppy, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he essentially took his anger out on me and the whole media room. He's like, yeah, you know, even when we do well and we do so well, you guys are just always looking for the negative and trying to talk about the bad stuff. Um, when we go off and score four goals and you guys just want to focus on us conceding goals, then he didn't answer my question. And he just kind of <laughs> took it out on the media. Um, Fielded one or two more questions, was too pissed off and left. Um, so yeah, that was the first time. I think of only one or two times I've really been chewed out by Peter. Um, so yeah, that's my most noticeable piece of a mis memory. That's noticeable. Jeez, yeah, I, I'm sure I'll have that moment eventually. Uh, that yeah, everyone can... does. Oh, I know. I, it's been interesting. Like I said, talking from personal experience with Geo, it's been so interesting. He, he's um, probably the perfect coach to really start getting your feet wet as far as post-game interviews and stuff goes, where he's receptive um, to a lot of that. It's just kind of funny to see the differences in coaches and yeah, um, what works for asking Gio a question won't work for asking Peter. I learned that a little bit over Zoom. I think one of the first questions I asked was looking at a future opponent and then, you know, the whole we focus on this week's team, something, not nothing crazy. And then I think a week later I asked not anything having to do with the next week's opponent, but how I forgot what the question was. I don't know if you remember it vaguely, but I asked him something along those lines and he went back to like, again, we don't look at the next opponent when that wasn't my question. So it's kind of funny. Like it makes for a good back and forth, uh, not over zoom, obviously, but to kind of get challenged kind of makes personally myself better at asking questions and yeah knowing the coaches geo of course is not going to do that but he's going to give sometimes the responses are great sometimes he says the same thing five different ways i know with peter what you ask him he's going to be honest about it and uh i i've enjoyed that um, from a personal development standpoint there and so yeah that's all i really had about sporting and um kcnwsl and kind of as we wrap up now we know that the season's going to start on April 3rd, getting back February 22nd, I think was the date for training camps. Uh, do you have any more plans after you finish this um, pro, uh, pro player pathway story or things you're interested about maybe kicking around or anything like that? Or are you just going to write this and then see where everything takes you before we get to that date and the season gets going again? Yeah, so uh, right off the bat, um, I'm actually, um, I need to send an email uh, right after we finished here, yeah. uh, I'm planning on talking to Lucy Parker. She was one of the NWSL team's draft picks. Um, you know, she, she's English like myself, uh, so that'll be fun. But uh, no, I mean, she she grew up in England. She played for the Arsenal ladies team. She's played for the England mm -hmm. youth set up levels. 
I think she made a good jump over to play college in the US and is now being drafted in KC, obviously. So, um, yeah, I'll be talking to her sometime soon just about basically, you know, playing for a team like Arsenal in England and essentially deciding to give that up to take a risk on playing in college and being drafted here. Uh, so that's my that's my next plan, which I'll probably mm-hmm. be doing early next week. And past them, it's, yeah, it's just kind of seeing where the world takes me. <laughs> where the world takes you. Well, last thing, so last, I can't let you go without asking you about this. What are your current thoughts on Liverpool season? I know it's underwhelming in Liverpool standards, but still a Champions League contention team, good on its day. Mm-hmm. What, what, what have you been thinking watching their season this year? Yeah, yeah. Um, you just opened the can of worms and I'll try and keep this as short as possible. <laughs> Um, I guess I'll say at this point, the facts that for people familiar with Liverpool, uh, for people who aren't, I mean, both of our main centre-backs are injured for the season. Um, so we're playing with a midfielder and an 18-year-old like centre-back. Uh, so that doesn't help. And I feel like that basically Liverpool hasn't scored a Premier League goal in a hot minute. Um, I, I was looking back at our schedule recently outside of BFA Cup win against Aston Villa, against their like 16-year-old mm-hmm. kids and who gives a crap because we're playing 16-year-old kids. I think the last time we won a meaningful game, so Premier League or, you know, Oscar Madrigas past weekends, was December 19th. So it's been over a month since Liverpool's actually had a meaningful win. And I'm just tired of it, Kyle. Can you hear how sad I am? I, I can't. I, I will say that playing 16-year-old kids sometimes is no easy task. Um, take it from me, whose team, whose Everton team lost to Liverpool, what, yes, two years ago? Yeah, well, two years. <laughs> or t- one, one or two years ago to, oh, yeah, this is Everton's best shot at winning at Anfield in a decade. And all of a sudden, like it was like a second team. And mm-hmm. they that was just frustrating. Lots of, I mean, I guess they'll go at it again, and I'm sure I will message you about that when that comes. But, of course, that's a can of worms we're not going to get into now. Just talking sporting, it's noon. I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to really sit down, talk Kansas City soccer. I really enjoyed it um, being the first guest um, for this podcast I'm trying to get going this year. And um, before you go, yeah, and before you get going, it's kind of where can people find you and where can they find your work, of course. Yeah, so um, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I pretty much do everything. Just Sean Goodwin KC, S-H-A-U-N, Goodwin KC. And then as for my actual work, I post it all on Twitter, but um, KansasCity.com is the Stars website. And then just uh, anything sporting KC, anything NWSL, they'll have my name on it. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, this has been Soccer from the Zoo Sporting Kansas City update. Uh, it's Kyle Pinnell. You can find me at Kyle underscore Pinnell underscore and uh, the podcast at Soccer at the Zoo and that's Z-O-U. Thank you for listening and I'll talk soon.